Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Hustle Middle East. Today we are really excited because we have Muhammad Shabib with us. He is a serial entrepreneur. Um he has been part of Sidra Style which was all about modest fashion. Um also X Sukar which uh got acquired by Souk. Um one of the largest acquisitions in the region until very recently. Um as well as a uh, part of the the online unit of Altair group with brands like the Jawal and Musafir so Al Musafir so welcome to the show thanks for having me so just tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now um because we're very excited to know what comes after the Jawal and Al Musafir and everything so i could say now i'm i'm working as stealth mode startup which has stealth mode <laughs> sort of become a uh, very fashionable expression in the region really <laughs> well, which is basically i want to tell you 1% of what i'm doing <laughs> it's very stealth no um so we so my co-founder and i who left uh, the Altair group with me mm-hmm. um the Tajawal context we're starting a new company still in the travel space mm-hmm. we're focusing on travel consumers in the mina region until southeast asia okay if you want basically the muslim world of uh, of travelers mm-hmm. okay um and uh, we will focus on very customizable trips okay right it means for example a saudi family with uh, five children mm-hmm. wife maybe two maids they want to go on a trip to sri lanka they don't know what to do we would probably inspire them we would have an itinerary of 10 15 10 to 15 nights mm-hmm. with really detailed uh, things that they could do mm-hmm. which is suitable for their family okay. and that's basically the concept that way aren't isn't this target audience mostly doing everything through ota through travel agents okay i'll give right you one now. i'll give you one task okay okay this is one of my typical trips okay um I need to fly from Dubai to Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. I usually take a night flight. I land in the morning. I rent a car. I drive with the car from Frankfurt to Bonn, which is about 160 kilometers. I visit my parents for 6 hours. Then I drive to the airport Cologne. I drop the rental car there. I mm-hmm. take a plane to Berlin. I rent a car at Berlin airport. I drive to my hotel in Berlin. I check in at the hotel. Then I get to meetings. Then I have a couple of probably meetings and then in the evening i need a restaurant reservation then i go sleep at the hotel the next day same thing mm-hmm. the day after i drop the car at the airport in berlin again then i fly from berlin to istanbul have a couple of meetings and then from istanbul to dubai try to book that on an ota <laughs> oh my god yeah actually that would be a pain now what i can do is like a concierge service you can define actually and this is a recurring thing for me like every mm-hmm. month or every other month i have to do this trip Mm-hmm. And then what what you could do is you could save this as a template and then just call Siri and say hey Siri get me a quotation for my Berlin itinerary. Okay. And get an itinerary. For example, that's for business travelers. For holiday travelers. It's a travelers, whole other level of complicated when you have more than one person involved exactly. yeah. for traveling. Exactly. Okay. Now now think of vacation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm pretty sure every dad um knows what I'm talking about like a week before a holiday starts a school vacation starts the wife comes honey where are you taking us mm-hmm. <laughs> right for spring break i imagine that whatever happening. it is yeah. it's just like your blood pressure goes up because you don't know what to suggest right and yeah. you don't know how to book and you don't know how to entertain yeah. and when you go you go to trip advisor you go to these blogs you go to these mm. and these and these things mm-hmm. but you never have one source of information as well as booking for complex things I took my end family to end. End to end. I took my family rentals. to Sri Lanka and I needed a tour guide. I needed a plan, day by day plan on how to entertain the kids, where to sleep, what to eat. Mm-hmm. And we can okay. build these things. Okay. So you're building a customized travel booking platform which is very um uh, all inclusive. Yes. And very curated depending on your needs or let's put it that way i will take the experience of walking into an offline travel agent mm-hmm. i will take that and take it offline and not and one of take not it one online. of take it online yes mm-hmm. not take one of these offline agents that don't have a clue and you usually know much more than they do <laughs> no a yeah. really good offline agent take this online mm-hmm. and have that um in a in a very time efficient manner okay cool and Will you tell us what it's called when it's going it's not, to be it's launched? It's not set yet. We're working on the MVP now, so okay. we'll probably launch probably by end of Ramadan we'll go live. Okay. Great. Great. Nice. Sounds super exciting, honestly. It is actually. It's a pretty cool thing because if you think about it, if the Middle East just the GCC I think 
has a travel spend of $50 billion for outbound or something mm-hmm. like that. That's huge. It's a yeah. huge market. And I don't think any of the solutions is good enough. And how does, how does your uh, business make money? The same ways that a travel agent does? So do you buy inventory of rooms, of mm-hmm. car rentals, of everything? Now, um, obviously, we will test the business model. This okay. is what you do when you launch something as an MVP. Yeah. We'll test different things. But the model will be a, a B2B2C model. So we sign up okay. offline travel agencies. Okay. Uh, we build a front end that consumers can really set up their packages in a very, very customized and easy way. Mm-hmm. And then we let travel agents bid for these itineraries. Oh. It kind of works. And we get a share. So travel it's agents like bid for It's like 99designs.com on dope for travel. Okay. That is cool. Yeah. That is cool. Interesting Because idea. part of it works in the way that a jar car works, where it's B2B2. Kind of, B2 yeah. Pretty much, yeah. To see, the business model comes actually from experience, from personal experience. The story right. with like wife coming and asking, Where are you taking us? is a true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happened to me in November. Okay, I didn't have a clue. And we ended up asking WhatsApp groups of ladies, Where did you take your families? We got some recommendations. We got people introduced to us from Sri Lanka. They came up with itineraries all via WhatsApp. They came up with itineraries. We fixed oh. the itinerary. We come up with our own itinerary. Mm-hmm. Then we send it to them. They priced it. And then we chose the one with the best price. Okay. Etc. Okay. Etc. Et so we're taking this process that we experience offline via, well, not offline, but uh, WhatsApp. Yeah. yeah. We take this and we'll take it online. I want to know: Is this for business travel as well as uh, for family vacations? We call it for complex itineraries. Okay. 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 So uh, I'm just curious: How is this different from the Java? Like, what is how you you've been part of the Java for the last how many three and a half years? Yeah. And so how, how does this differentiate from Tajawal? It's a fundamentally different setup. So first of all, Tajawal was a corporate venture. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we built an online unit, an online business unit on behalf of a large corporate. Okay. That's a fundamentally different approach. The first thing you need to know is when you're a corporate venture, you have more cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that is thing. different. All right. The second thing. So, sorry. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. So was the, did Tajawal start as an MVP or it started with... Pockets of cash and this no, is what the, we're going uh, to do. Like having cash is totally independent from the approach you choose in order to go live. Obviously, whatever business that I create, I will choose an MVP approach because everything else is okay. just stupid. Right. Okay. If you sit there for two, for two years programming and programming and developing and you never launch, I think rule number one is launch very fast, no matter yes. how much cash you have. Mm-hmm. Yes. Launch fast and then fix it. Right. And that's what we've done with Tejawal as well, regardless okay, of great the owners and the investors behind the company. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but how do we differ? Tajawal and Al Musafir are classic online travel agencies, which is, you know, they sell flights, they sell hotels independently, they have aggregators that provide the content or the inventory and they sell it and they get a commission. Okay. Now the value add there is the transaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make the transaction easy. Yeah. Now the value add that we will bring is configure complex trips. Okay. And, and the have them executed as, as easy as possible. Save time going, having to walk into a Donata office or save time having to walk into a travel agent in Karama or wherever you want to sure. need to go in order to do complex bookings. And yeah. get inspiration. That's mm. another thing. So we'll use, and I hate this buzzword because everyone keeps using it and they don't have a clue what it means, but artificial intelligence enablement, which means we'll have a recommendation engine that tells you, look, you're a family with three children, seven, six, three year old. We've seen 20,000 other families that like the following itinerary. Why don't you take a look at that? Okay. Mm -hmm. For example, or, you know, don't go to Dubai, don't fly from Dubai on the 15th of, uh, from Riyadh to Dubai on the 15th of April and book Jumeirah Beach Hotel because we expect a sandstorm. Better book a hotel in Dubai Mall instead because, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that will be possible. Is it going to be that complex? Yeah. Oh, that's over cool. time, probably yeah. not from day one. <laughs> but that's <laughs> okay. the thing with with uh, anything that's reliant on AI, you need a lot of data yes. for it to get there. But it's good that the vision is already that okay. Most families of similar size, similar interests, similar nationalities liked this curated journey. You would like the same as well. Yeah, that is cool. So beyond booking flights and hotels, which the Jawal already does. It's also giving you restaurant recommendations. Pa- and it will come. So you have, you have different components of a trip. So when you go okay. on a trip, what components do you have? You have getting to a destination, mm-hmm. which could be train, it could be car, it could be flights, whatever it is. It could be boat. Mm-hmm. Then you have 
pickups from airports, from harbors, from whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you have the accommodation. It could mm-hmm. be hotel, it could be furnished apartment, it could be hostel, it could be 200 Airbnb. different things. Yeah. It could be staying with my family, mm-hmm. right? Um, then you have everything around car rental and ground transportation. So mm-hmm. you could have a car that you mm-hmm. drive yourself. You could have a bus with a driver, mm-hmm. a small bus with a driver, or van, minivan with a driver. Then you need things like translator, tour guide. Mm-hmm. Then you need things like restaurant, entertainment, yeah. uh, theater, culture, etc. pp. There's so many components. So let's call it activities on the ground, ground transportation, accommodation, mm-hmm. and getting to your destination and navigating between destinations. These are the core things that we will add into our itinerary. Okay, Over so time. all of this will be... Yeah, of course. We'll start mm-hmm. in the MVP. We'll start probably with whatever, uh, select flights and accommodation and maybe express your interest in having a rental car and an airport mm. pickup. Okay. And then as we go, we increase the scope. Express your interest in having a rental car by ajalcar.com. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. <laughs> Always hustling. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's take a step back and... Let's talk about everything that has led you to here. Mm-hmm. So you're ex-McKinsey, you're, you've started a fashion label, two, two fashion. One, so, one. Sukar was fashion as well. Sukar was about uh, flash sale of fashion. Okay, okay. Um, so can we start right at the beginning? Because I read somewhere that you've been an entrepreneur since you were 12. <laughs> Doing bike <laughs> I probably repairs. didn't know how to spell entrepreneur back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about your background. So I was born and raised in Germany. My parents are both Syrians. Left Syria early on. Like in the, I think my dad was 16 when he left Syria. 16, 17. Okay. Um, so born in Germany, raised there. Very early on, I told my dad, I, didn't, I don't want to take cash from you. And I started hustling, mm-hmm. literally. So buying used bicycles and selling them, etc. BP. I figured very quickly that, you know, I have a certain skill that I think is required for entrepreneurial activity, which is sales. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can sell stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously, at that age, at the age of 12, 13, 14, you don't really know that this really matters. But yeah. somehow it worked. And I always was the one in class that had most cash in his pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so I, I was also the biggest consumer. <laughs> okay, okay. So saving was not really the big, <laughs> big thing back then. Um, and then after after school, after I graduated from school, I started studying at a at a business school in Germany, mm-hmm. which is known today for probably having produced the most the highest number of successful entrepreneurs in the tech space. Oh, so the first the first one actually that that came out and he was my classmate was Oliver Zumber, the founder of Rocket Internet. Oh, wow, okay. no and way. And he created basically this generation of entrepreneurs. So if you look at successful startups, successful exits, whatever statistics you want to look at in Europe, mm-hmm. even across the world, you will see that there's two networks of people that dominate the sphere outside of the US. Mm-hmm. One of the networks is my university. Okay. okay. And the other network is McKinsey. Okay. Mm. okay. So um, I don't know why, but I think my university really teaches you entrepreneurship Okay. early on. And I think McKinsey is the best school when it comes to execution, mm-hmm. ruthless execution. Okay. okay. Um, so combining both, I think, is a, is a big advantage. Yeah. Um, so my career can be split into three, three phases. Phase mm-hmm. number one is entrepreneurship in Germany. Mm-hmm. Phase number two is McKinsey. And McKinsey was Middle East and Germany, mm-hmm. or Middle East and Europe. And phase number three, which, is, which started in the beginning of 2011 with um, is entrepreneurship in the MENA region. Okay. 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 And what is the name of this university in Germany? Uh, in German, we call it WHU. Okay. Which is basically um, Koblenz School of Corporate Management. I think that's the official name. Okay. okay. Rocket Internet, I believe, was also one of the first uh, to invest quite heavily in this region with Talabat. Is that correct? Yeah, there were. Yeah. Before like Kareem happened. $140 million. Yeah. Before Kareem and Amazon happened, it was the biggest, the largest exit in the region. When you started Sukkar, what was the, the idea behind it and what is your role in the company? Okay. So Sukkar was started by a, by a founder called Saigon Yelchin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. He's the uh, founder also of sellanycar.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he founded the company and uh, I think it was six to eight months after he founded that I got a call from investors and they said, hey, we have a single founder startup. We would like to onboard you as the new CEO of the company to take over from Saigon. 
okay. um, as CEO. So I took over from him, but we stayed together as a team. Mm -hmm. So um, we split we split the work basically, and I I, uh, I was able um, I was able actually to retain him. It's not easy okay. to give up a CEO role. Um, mm -hmm. When you're the founder of a company, but we found a very good mix of uh, focus areas in the business. Okay. Okay. And uh, so we scaled the business from roughly two hundred thousand dollars a month to roughly two million dollars a month. In how much time? In one year. Oh, oh wow! wow. Yeah, a little bit more than one year, and then we sold it to Souk. Okay. Um, for various reasons. So mm -hmm. one of the reasons was I didn't believe in the business model, to be honest. Okay. okay. Um, and the business model was a flash sale? Yeah, you buy fashion. overstock from all around the globe of fashion, okay. fashion items. So you buy last season and last, last, last season's items. Okay. And you sell them at a discount. That's so like an business. outlet? Like an outlet. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you sell them. Um, I figured that it was very tough to raise funding to make this company profitable in the Middle East. Okay. And I firmly believe that a marketplace model like souk.com is much, much, much better. Okay. Now, souk was focused entirely on electronics back then, and we were focused on fashion. Right. So electronics is low margin. Fashion is good margin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we felt that it made sense to put these two companies together. At that time, we were almost the same size. Oh, really? Wow. So souk, I think, was 160, 170 people. We were 140 people. Okay. Souk was making, I think, 2.5 million a month. We were about 2 million a month back then. Okay. The investors, we had shared investors, so it was an easy thing to do. Uh, execute okay. for me as a as a uh, as a hired CEO, if you will, with little shares in the business. It was it was important to just get an exit story out there, okay. so that my name goes out to the market and I can start the next uh, the next thing. Okay. What did Souk do with Sukar? Like it didn't. Do you want the positive version or the real version? I want the, the real, real version. version. Yeah, yes. I'm not going to disclose my real version here. <laughs> <laughs> Why give me the choice? Then? Um. I think they tried to integrate it into something called souk fashion, mm -hmm. but it somehow didn't work out. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of many factors. Let's put it that way. It's a combination mm -hmm. of leadership, knowledge, skill sets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Let's leave yeah. it this way. Yeah. I mean, it. they were really trying because this is around the time. This is a little bit pre-Namshi. Mm. Not, not a whole lot before Namshi really kicked off. Actually, Namshi started the time when we were... Slightly before we sold to Souk. Okay. And Namshi was by Rocket Internet, right? It's a, yes, Zalando, it's a yes. Zalando system brought to the Middle East. Yes. The founders were much better than the people that took over on the Souk side. Okay. Um, <laughs> and they basically took over the fashion market in the Middle East. Yeah. yeah we've had some interaction with uh, Hussam from mm. Namshi. Very, very switched on people. Yeah, so. he just left. I met him yesterday. He just he left. Just left. Yeah. Well, because of the MR acquisition? Because of the acquisition, yeah. He's yeah. done. So, uh, uh, when you started Sukar, how much did you guys raise initially? Uh, can you disclose that? So, I did not start Sukar myself. Yeah. Right? right, yeah. But say it, say it. once it started, yeah. like how much funding did you guys uh, have initially? Because your inventory must cost a lot, right? You no, no, bought in, before. In Sukar, in Sukar, I can tell you that like when I entered the business after half a year, we optimized the numbers so much mm -hmm. that we didn't carry more inventory than one and a half months. Okay. So it was almost just in time. Okay, so you didn't have um, any dead was, inventory. No, and our delivery time was about 4.3 days for the entire Middle East. Okay. That's pretty good at that time. It was extremely good. When I entered yeah. the business, it was above 30 days. Um, was what is, was it COD as well? Or? When I entered the business, COD, I think, was close to 80%. Okay. When I left the business, COD was close to 20%. Okay. So oh. there was a couple of things that we improved there Okay. back then. Um, in terms of fundraising, I don't think I'm allowed to disclose the numbers. Okay. Okay. In yeah, honestly, I don't know if it's still valid, but you can assume a a, a lower eight-digit number. Okay. A lower eight-digit number. U.S. Okay. All right. So um, you're quite active on social media. Uh, so what is your strategy for sharing content and how do you go about it? Look, in my three and a half year tenure as, as founder and CEO of, of the Altayar online space, mm -hmm. I have probably rejected most of the requests to meet, like a meeting like that, okay. simply because I just wanted to focus on the business and I wanted to scale the business. Now that I have a little bit more flexibility in terms of time mm -hmm. and I don't need to respect things like uh, a listed company's uh, PR department, etc. cetera, PP, mm -hmm. um, 
I thought about what can I do to have impact in the regional ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the reason why I'm here. I don't, uh, like I would probably prefer living in Europe close to my family. My parents are old, etc. But I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a reason of, you know, um, developing entrepreneurship, tech entrepreneurship in this region. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at my experience, I've done everything from, you know, starting up companies myself to doing corporate uh, ventures to doing digital transformations, part of a McKinsey team or mm -hmm. leading McKinsey teams, uh, failures as well as successes. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that I can share that hopefully would have impact. Now, in terms of strategy, how do I do that? Is I'm accepting selective speaking opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and I like it to be cozy environments. Um, <laughs> like this one. <laughs> why? Because then you can be really very, very real. Yeah. yeah, and you're not pushed into a certain uh, format, format, etc. Yeah. PP exactly. Yeah. That's one thing. The second thing that I'm doing is I'm sharing a little bit more on social media, mm -hmm. but that's more of more or less a test bed for what I'm planning to do next. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I will do is, and I, I don't like the comparison, but if you take Gary V, mm -hmm. there's a lot of content that this gentleman produces. Now let's neglect his language, but okay. <laughs> there's a lot of content that is actually valuable that he produces and shares constantly. And I mm -hmm. think there's a lot, there's a big gap in terms of content that is tailored to the Middle East mm -hmm. from the sure. perspective of an entrepreneur mm -hmm. in Arabic as well, specifically mm -hmm. in Arabic, targeting audience, for example, in Saudi Arabia and Egypt and mm -hmm. the rest of the GCC. Yeah. And that's a field that I'm venturing into now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, It requires time, it requires efforts, it requires money. So I'm a little reluctant to go all in um, before I set up the right team setup. So yeah. you're doing an MVP on your... Exactly. <laughs> I'm MVPing actually my content. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So no, we, we also realize the same thing. I mean, like, um, you know, there's not much resources or good content for Middle Eastern entrepreneurs. Yes. So um, that's why we kind of decided to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> And... Uh, Like, like we were mentioning to you before we started recording, it has been really helpful. And the Middle East market is, or the MENA region is very unique in the way that there's a lot of disparity between all of these markets and segregations. And there are issues like cash on delivery still being quite prevalent. So there isn't, uh, you can listen to How I Built This by Guy Raz or Startup Stories, and, and we consume a lot of content around startups. But yeah, there isn't enough that's talking about stories from the region. And now more than ever is the best time to talk about it yeah. because of Souk acquisition, because of Kareem's acquisition. It is a really, really exciting time to be in this space, um, especially for companies that are like, I think uh, uh, Kareem was at Series F or something. Yeah, when I they, think so. Uh, yeah okay let's let's get into that a little bit yeah, like what do you I think about know, yeah. about the Kareem acquisition like how, how do you think, think it's it gonna impacts the ecosystem yeah how yeah. do you think it's gonna impact the ecosystem? look I'm not I'm not the first one to say this I'm pretty sure but if you if you look at the startup scene in the Middle East the biggest gap that we have is on the funding side early yeah. seed early stage funding yeah. right um, early stage funding depends on what is the what is the prospect that people calculate or the likelihood for exit that people calculate? Mm. This likelihood in the Middle East is extremely low. So how or do it people... Was. <laughs> hmm? Or it was. No, it, is. It, it still is. still is. It still is, right? It's changing, Why? but it's... Why? Because there is no exit market. Mm -hmm. Now, Kareem is a, I think, an, 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 is, is a point, an inflection point for this industry because it shows that a home-bred company can grow to such a size that it really pisses off an international player like Uber mm -hmm. and forces them to buy them. Yeah. And I assume they could have sold like a year ago for $2 billion plus. They haven't. And they haven't for one reason. Mm -hmm. They wanted to retain the Kareem brand and the Kareem culture and the Kareem setup. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. Otherwise, they would have sold and said, yeah, just shut us down and give us the cash and we leave. Yeah. Now, these guys, and I know them... I know them fairly well. Like one of the founders is a childhood friend. The other founders are ex-colleagues from McKinsey. Who, Mudassar? Mudassar and Magnus have been in mm -hmm. McKinsey as well. And, and Abdullah Elias and I were, really grew up together in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so these guys have made sure that, they, that there will be, and this is the narrative now, if you look at the, the media, their narrative now is chapter two of Kareem. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. So they want to retain Kareem and have a story for the Middle East 
for the MENA region by yeah. people from the MENA region. And I think that's a fabulous story. Yeah. So yeah. you have you have all it takes. You have basically a, a business that is built to have impact on people in the region. Mm -hmm. And you have an outside player that has acquired this company. Now, what's missing for this region? What's missing is that these corporates here wake up. Mm -hmm. The guys that call themselves family groups or whatever that do retail and get exclusive contracts with the likes of Gucci, Prada, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Mm -hmm. They wake up and they figure out that, oh, our existing business model will not work 10 years from now. Yeah. There are people disrupting us. We can fight them. We can make their lives difficult. We can sue them when they sell stuff because we have exclusivity, alleged exclusivity, mm -hmm. whatever it is. People will always find ways around mm -hmm. and people will scale their business. And at one point, you know, you will be disrupted. So yeah. these people need to wake up and need to understand that if they invest in these businesses, they will benefit. They will transform their own cultures, their own businesses, etc. in the next five to 10 years. Because if sure. they don't do that, they will be out. So what you're saying is that there is a problem where there's not enough opportunity for early stage and seed funding. And there is an opportunity with family-run businesses, we know who they are, where they are well aware that brick and mortar retail is dying and a lot of them are in talks about digital transformation but actually there should be an opportunity where these family run businesses are investing in potentially disruptive okay, healthy no, that's what will happen healthy eventually. exit markets are markets that are driven by local exits mm -hmm. so yeah you exit to and a local that hasn't player. happened here at it all it hasn't happened here right yeah. well suksukar is that no, it's two digital brands. What I'm talking about is, for example, someone like Majid Al-Futayn buying a company. Mm -hmm. Someone like Amar buying Nemshi. Yeah. That's starting to happen now, but there's okay. not enough of that. Yeah. When you have a thousand companies being funded and you have one or two big exits, then something is wrong in the ecosystem. Right? Okay. Yeah, but, uh, but I think there's also uh, going to be this, uh, like I was reading Kareem's exit, uh, resulted in some 125 millionaires, uh, $25 millionaires. Yeah. yeah, $25 millionaires. And, you know, these people are going to take that money and probably transfer you know, it back home. Trans uh, what know, else? I, I think, I think no, they I would think, invest in the region. You know, they've tasted success. And I think um, they're part of the startup ecosystem. So I think there'll be a little little bit of that uh, exit money is going to come back into the startup ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. And, and and now that people, like people see it in the paper, right? Like Kareem exited for $3 billion. They start believing in the startup model more. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be, I think, a good That's positive. how Silicon Valley works. That's how London works. That's how Berlin yeah. works, right? Yeah. yeah. People who have been successful entrepreneurs, like everyone knows the PayPal mafia, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there will be a Kareem mafia now. Like all these people who made money on Kareem will put it back into the ecosystem, at yeah, least partially. That's, that's my and hope. This should fuel the ecosystem. That's why I'm saying this is an inflection point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, why? Because two things, like the visibility of it on a global scale. Yeah. And the second thing is you have people here that now have a lighthouse project they believe in that will become their role model and they will push harder into becoming entrepreneurs. Yeah. So it, will, it will attract seed money Mm -hmm. And early stage money because exit possibilities apparently are there. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing is it will attract better entrepreneurs to come to this region. Because let's face it, the entrepreneur material that you have in this region still is way below the quality that you see in Europe or in the Valley. And why do you think that is? Because we don't have good education here. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the simplest thing. Okay. So, I mean... From your background, uh, the university you went in and also McKinsey and knowing people from Rocket Internet and Zolando and everything, uh, how important is the network in the company that you keep in determining your success as an entrepreneur? I think when you're, when you're depending on fundraising, your network helps tremendously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if I take my last venture, when you are a corporate venture, you don't need to do external fundraising. Um, then I would say your primary key to success is your ability to hire the right people okay. at scale. Okay. Right? At the end of the day, we're more than 1,000 people in Tijawal and Al-Musafir. Mm -hmm. Wow, is that uh, big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's across four countries. So that's a massive operation. And you yeah. need to be able to attract these people, to retain these people, to coach these people, to grow these people. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's that's a very challenging job, right? And you need that's the key capability you need to do. Now, if you have a network, mm -hmm. then you can attract certain people from within your network. So some yeah. of the key people, uh, they joined us because I know someone who knows someone, for example, and mm -hmm. then they brought it. Uh, they brought them in. 
Yeah, yeah. what we call vasa. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> sort of. So, uh, how is it running a company like Sukar, which was very much a startup? And how many employees you said? One hundred and twenty-five. One hundred and forty, right? Which one? Sukar. Sukar. I think when I left, it was one hundred forty-three. Okay. And from going from that to something like the Javel, which is a much larger scale mm-hmm. corporate, um, which is, which? How did you find it different? Look, there's been uh, four five years in between, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, first of all, me as a leader, I developed tremendously in this time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of failures in between and successes in between. There's a lot of people I encountered. There's a lot of investor relations I had, good mm-hmm. relationships and bad relationships. Um, there's so much that happened in between mm-hmm. that I'm a totally different person. So comparing this would be apples with with whatever uh, with bananas probably. Okay. <laughs> right? You can't really compare. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, Sukkar was started up by Saigon, not by me. Right, um, which means he had done the initial fundraising, and we could okay. benefit from this initial fundraising. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, and then, uh, but it all added to the experience level that I had that led to me setting up Tajawal and starting this business. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, um, but obviously, like running a bigger operation like that requires you as a manager to be much more mature. Mm-hmm. It requires you to be able to delegate much more. It requires you to be able, and and this was a corporate venture, so there's a couple of corporate restrictions that you have that you need to respect in day to day, which you wouldn't do. At the same time, you don't have the classic VC investors that are a pain in your butt yeah. um, to certain degrees um, for a reason. I mean, they mm-hmm. they need to manage the investment much more actively. Mm-hmm. A uh, corporate investor or corporate shareholder is much more of a strategic, long term thinking investor. Yeah. But there's a couple of things that you just simply cannot compare. Okay. Um, for me, the important thing for me as an entrepreneur is I want to build something that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. That's how I run. And the first thing I want to build is the people surrounding me because mm-hmm. this leads then to building something of uh, of greatness. Okay. Okay. So um, why did you leave the Jawal? You left the Jawal in October of last year. Yeah. So what was the thinking behind that i mean i've read somewhere that uh, if you feel like you're not learning anymore then it's time to step away and and try something new but I Look, just it's a combination know. of things and in a nutshell in a really nutshell if you boil it down to one um, um statement i would say if i and i question this uh, i would say on a quarterly basis mm-hmm. okay if i come to a point where i say if i put anyone else in my role mm-hmm as a CEO of a business, and this person could do a similar job, at least as good as I'm doing it, mm-hmm. then it means I lost my spark. Okay. I don't have a uniqueness factor on this business. Once you have realized that, you realize that there is opportunity costs in staying. Mm-hmm. Because you could do other things of value outside. Mm-hmm. When I say of value, I don't necessarily mean that you could make more money. Yeah. Because right. It it means you can do stuff that excites you more. You can do stuff that impacts people more. Mm-hmm. You could do stuff that is whatever bigger, larger in other regions, whatever it is. But you come to a point where you say, "Look, I think I've added my value, mm-hmm. and now someone else can continue adding value to this company." That's one one of the thoughts. The other thought that you have is the setup specifically on on the Tajawal Al Musafir side is a corporate venture. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, once you reach a certain scale, there needs to be synergies of scale with the corporate side, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we we managed to start up the business and scale the business without any corporate, and I don't like the word interference because it's too negative. No, actually, I don't mean it in a negative way. You mean involved. Um, but we had a, lot, a, a very high degree of independence. Naturally, this degree will go away over time. As you scale. Okay, as you scale. Now, it didn't happen while I was there, but I know that it will happen at one point because I've seen it multiple times throughout my career in McKinsey specifically mm-hmm. when I entered companies. And I didn't want this to happen while I was there because I'm not the right guy to do this. I'm not. You a, like autonomy. Not autonomy even, but I'm not a corporate guy. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just not a corporate guy. Like I have offers working as whatever, CEO of a corporate, uh, EVP of a corporate or whatever, and I always reject those mm-hmm. um, because I know that I would not be happy at one point when I have to discuss things that are formalities, mm-hmm. whereas in my startup, I would just say, this is the way we do it. And if we're right. wrong, we'll fix it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like a totally different approach. And when you realize that you're not the right person for a setup, then you have to take action before someone else takes action on your behalf, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I would never, I would never put myself into a position where someone comes to me and say, "Hey, Muhammad, you know, you're not the right guy anymore." Never, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at one point, I figured that you know, and was mid of last year. I was like, "Look, towards end of last year, I would like to do something more entrepreneurial again." Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then I, uh, I had good conversations actually in in, in Altayar on the group uh, on a group level, and we agreed that I phase out and we hand over to someone who actually took over now and he's doing a great job. Okay. okay. That's cool. So the entrepreneurial bug caught you, huh? <laughs> I'm, af- I'm afraid it never, it never <laughs> leaves me. <Yeah. laughs> okay. So from Sitra Sal to Sukar to Tajawal to your new venture, you mentioned that you've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of learnings. Um, and of course, you want the whole idea about creating content is to really inspire entrepreneurs from this region. So what is advice or what is based on your experience what is something that you share with people looking to get into entrepreneurship i always ask when i when i give speeches publicly people ask me this question very often and i always say why not mm-hmm. like people are oh i'm in a job and I'm, what's your worst case scenario failing what does failing mean you need to move back into your parents or whatever for a while and re- restart. Mm. Your worst case scenario is that you lose some money, you have mm. no income, and you need to find new income and new money. That's mm. your worst case scenario. Mm. I haven't yeah. seen anyone dying or starving to death because they failed in a company. Yeah. Yeah. At least in our civilized world, we haven't. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's mm. a privilege. Mm. So you have a privilege of having some sort of safety net. Now, in a country like UAE, as an expat, your safety net is very limited. I'll admit that. Yeah. yeah, but things are changing over time. But your safety time. net can also be go back home. Your you safety know? net could be go back home. Your safety mm. net could be work in McDonald's. Yeah, honestly, like if you don't have money, work as a waiter, waitress for two, three, four months, and reset. Wash mm. cars, do whatever is necessary in order in order mm. to do stuff. But usually, when you're an entrepreneur, you hustle. Yeah, yeah. you'll you'll find out the way. So your worst case scenario is you lose your job. You lose your income, you burn some money, your savings, your saving, savings of friends and family, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you reset and you relaunch yourself again mm-hmm. in a job. Mm-hmm. If, if it's really this bad, in a job. So my first advice is just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure you have a business plan and an idea that is robust. Mm-hmm. Test it with as many people as possible. Don't come down this, oh, I will be secretive about it so <laughs> yeah. no one copies it. If yeah. you don't believe that you will execute better than anyone else, just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. But tell people, let them copy it because they will develop the market for you. And then you come, you execute better, you will take the market. Mm, yeah. That's the way I look at <laughs> the, it. The blue ocean versus actually. red ocean. I don't care. Strategy, like when we yeah. started Tajawal, Clear Trip was like massive. Mm. And mm. we took over the market in no time. Mm. Right? Well, Kareem came yeah. after Uber. So and Kareem they, came they after came Uber and they gave a them a very product. tough fight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. So that's advice number one. Like be sure that nothing bad can happen, like really mm. now, especially when you don't have like family commitments, et cetera. Yeah. Now for me, mm-hmm. I have four kids now and a wife here and I have a different risk structure than anyone else, probably mm. that is a 25 year old, just yeah. coming straight out of college, blah, blah, blah. That's an easier thing to do, I admit that. Yeah. But still with me, what is my worst case scenario? I can go and work as a freelancer, a consultant for some corporate for three, four, five, six months, whatever it is, and regain traction in my life after I fail. Yeah. yeah. So also that that is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that I would say is for entrepreneurs is when you do fundraising, mm-hmm. don't be desperate about taking the best, the, the first, second, or third offer of funding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like try to get into a position where you can select between investors. Okay. And make sure your cap table only consists of people that you enjoy working with. Okay. The biggest screw up I've done in my entrepreneurial life is allowing investors to come on board because I thought I needed their cash Mm -hmm. that didn't deserve working with me. But what if your runway doesn't give you the liberty to wait for your fourth? So here's my question to you. Okay. You have a runway of three months. You have an offer to extend your runway by one year. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a really crappy investor, and you know it. Mm. You take him on board, or her on board. You dilute yourself. You have almost no shares in your own company. You run for another mo- a year. In this year, your life is hell mm-hmm. because this investor makes your life hell. Plus, you need to fundraise. No one wants to give you funding because they know that this investor here has diluted you so much that you don't have an entrepreneurial incentive anymore. So you be- get into mm. a vicious circle. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. I'd rather shut down the company that back then and say, you know what, it doesn't work. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
And when you have a hard time finding good investors, then it means something is wrong with either the model or the team or the market, mm. right? And the market could be on the consumer side. It could also be on the investor side. The investor market here is not good enough, Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Could be. True. But then be rational about it and say, look, I'm not mm. going to screw up my cap table because it's, it will be one year of hard work at low salary because I'm an entrepreneur. Mm. Mm. And then at the end, I will not be able to raise further funding. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So, um, Was that the, the two pieces of advice? There's a third one, maybe. Okay. Be extremely, and that's probably the most important piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Be extremely good at hiring people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Extremely focused on hiring people. Mm -hmm. Be even better at letting people go. Which okay. means, if someone leaves your company, make sure they remember you in a very, very positive way. No matter what happened. I had people who stole my IP, who went to my competition, who, who, who. I still sit with them today, years later, and drink coffee with them and we're friends. And no grudges. No. Mm -hmm. I make sure this happens. Mm -hmm. And this comes, again, this comes with maturity. When yeah. I was 24 in my first startup and people left the competition, blah, blah, I wanted to kill them, literally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you start talking about them badly, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. what's the point? Yeah. If you think about it, the only reason why you do that is ego. Mm. And mm -hmm. ego has always been the reason for all the wars in this world. Mm. Right. So it doesn't yeah. make sense. True. Yeah. Uh, we've had quite a few people on the show, but I don't think anybody has stressed on talent as much as you. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. What It's, are you without talent surrounding you? You're a one-man show fighting and you will die. No, mm -hmm. no, no. I, I'm, I'm completely all for it. I, I completely prescribe to it and I buy into it. But it's just very interesting and very fresh to hear about it. So, I mean, what do you do to motivate and surround yourself with really good quality people, good talent? I think the most important thing is give them degrees of freedom. Hmm. So I regard all my department heads as CEOs of their department. Okay. And I, I urge them to regard the people working for them as mini CEOs of what they're doing. Give hmm. people responsibility. Hmm. Don't yeah, push people. Don't yeah. push people. Make them push themselves. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes Don't to me, no, 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 try not to do that. When someone comes, just ask them, what do you think is the deadline you will deliver? And when they say Monday, tell them, you know, I'll take until Wednesday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they will do everything they can to not let you down. Mm -hmm. They want to make you proud. Mm -hmm. So be friends with people rather than the boss. I yeah. think this is, this is something that is very important. Be friendly, be approachable. Mm. learn from those people I'm genuinely like if I look at people working with me I want to learn from them mm. and I don't have the best approach always I'm not the smartest guy always I'm not the fastest guy always so I look around me and I try to learn from those guys yeah yeah I totally agree it's uh, I think it's much better to uh, have your employees want to work for you rather yes. than force them to work for you yeah. yeah yeah and there is something about hiring people who know more than you like a good leader knows for sure To hire people no, for who sure, know more. For sure. I yeah. always say, people ask me sometimes when I speak publicly, they're like, okay, what is your secret of success? <laughs> Now, let me question the success part. But, um, no, but what I say is usually um, the biggest secrets that you have is I'm not extremely outstanding at anything that I do. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm an okay marketer. I understand finance, but I'm definitely not great at finance. Mm -hmm. I'm not the best product guy. I'm not the best IT guy. I'm not the best guy at anything. But I challenge people to find someone who's better than me at finding talents in this region and putting them together in one room and make them excel. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good skill. I don't think you find anyone in the region, mm -hmm. to be honest. And making sure that they stay, despite like a four-letter company that has a lot of cash that comes and tries to poach them for twice the salary and they still say no, I'm not <laughs> going to mention the name of the company. Okay. Um, they still stay and they come and they say, I want to stay because I want to work in your culture that you have built, in okay. my culture that we have built. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and I think this is important. So if you have this skill, honestly, everything else can be acquired. Yeah. You will find talents that are much better than you in IT, that are much better than you in finance, that are much better than you. The funny part is people who are on the verge of becoming true leaders, mm -hmm. they think their functional knowledge is the most important thing. And they think that stating certain facts is the most important thing and being transactional with people and being very like diligent about like this, this, this and this is the mm -hmm. most important thing. When you grow, and I was like that literally 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you become a little more mature as a leader, 
you figure that you know the soft aspects of leadership are far more important than delivering number A, B, C, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean the tool set is changing so much, so that it's completely irrelevant. It is the soft skills that yeah. that matter quite a bit for sure. So you're good at detecting talent and nurturing talent. Yes. Okay. okay. I hope so. <laughs> okay. I'm still learning, but I think uh, I've at least when I compare myself to who I was five, six, seven, eight years ago, I'm definitely 10,000 times better. Okay, great. So based on your experience right now with your new entrepreneurial venture, your pre-MVP, what are your plans for it? How are you looking to fundraise? Uh, what does the roadmap look like? Um, so we're developing our MVP and we want to launch it and test uh, and, and scale a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, for that, we're injecting a couple of hundred thousand dollars ourselves, my okay. co-founder and I. So- Okay. Um, to get the traction. And the funny part is I, I was just in Silicon Valley. I was just in Germany. Like literally every time I tell anyone my story, our story for the new venture, people are lined up and say, hey, why don't you move here? We invest. And then they talk about millions of dollars at evaluation that makes sense for a founder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here in the Middle East, you still have to look for investors and mm-hmm. sort of pitch yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the other location, they pitch for you. If they know you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you've done some stuff. Investors really fight with each other okay. to get this deal, right? Okay. Um, and I think this is something we still need to figure out. How do we approach um, fundraising um, during the summer break? It probably will hit the summer break. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we somehow need to bridge July, uh, August, uh, <laughs> then come September, we'll start fundraising properly. Okay. <coughs> but I see it coming. Like We will talk to people that will frustrate us here. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very positive about certain tendencies that I see. There's a lot of stuff happening in Abu Dhabi. There's okay. new funds that are being set up in Saudi Arabia, also looking at consumer tech businesses. Great. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I guess in general, what you what you find in this, and I'm considering actually moving the company from here to Berlin. Okay. Um, just simply started off there to get the initial funding in a proper structure okay. and then operate a certain team here okay. just to, to keep the, the Middle Eastern DNA. But it's much easier to be based out of Europe or uh, structure. I, I would not move, move to the US, but like to be based out of Europe mm-hmm. uh, okay. to attract investment, mm-hmm. smart money as they call it, is mm-hmm. much easier in Europe than here. Okay. okay. So from the hundreds of thousands of dollars that you guys are personally investing, mm-hmm. What would be the split? Like how much is going to go towards development? How much is going to go towards operational, marketing? I would say 60% will go into marketing. Okay. Okay. The rest into staff. Okay. Okay. So hiring developers and people and operational setup, etc. And the tech? Yeah, tech is part tech. of the okay, yeah, part of the, the okay. people. We develop everything in-house. So. Okay, great. That's awesome. Yeah, we're techies. Okay. <laughs> Well, my CTO would kill me now if I say that. He, he thinks I'm not <laughs> He a doesn't think all. you're a techie. <laughs> like, uh, okay. <laughs> so he's a techie. Okay. okay. And is it going to be an app and a, and a website? or We'll start web-based with a mobile website. Okay. Uh, a mobile-enabled website. Um, and yeah. then the app probably three months later. That's what we did That's as well. Yeah. Approach, yeah. 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 And uh, which do you think is going to be the biggest market for you uh, starting out? Uh, no, start, are you looking at UAE? Yeah, starting or? will be, the focus will be Saudi Arabia outbound and UAE outbound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Kuwait as well, um, mm-hmm. but we'll focus probably initially. Okay. Um, but in the long run, the biggest markets will be Indonesia, Malaysia, China. Okay. These are the markets to look at. Okay. Um, we've also heard from uh, other people that we've had on the show that aside from fundraising being a challenge, it's also closing a round of funding that takes double the amount of time that it would in Silicon Valley and things. So I think that lead time, (laughs) have you faced this as a challenge as well in the region? I think there's many challenges in this region. I'll give you one example. Like about two months ago, I was sitting with someone, a very, very high net worth individual. We were discussing the project and he's like, I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'll take half of your, I was not even fundraising. Mm -hmm. The guy heard about it. The gentleman heard about us and he's like, hey, I commit. Mm -hmm. And then literally two days later, I'm like, hey, thanks for committing to blah, blah. He's like, uh, you must have misunderstood. That's after <laughs> handshake and hugging. Um, oh, really? So this happens quite often in this region where people right. say something and they don't mean it, where people disappear, don't respond to emails, mm-hmm. to phone calls, etc. PP. You need to you need to manage. And I, my, my approach to that is I don't go out pitching. Mm-hmm. People, I talk to various people about what we're doing. And if someone is truly interested, they would approach us. 
Yeah. And then we have a very uh, like like eye to eye conversation where we say, look, this is what we're doing. Do you think you can help us? Do you mm. think we add value to your portfolio? Yeah. And mm-hmm. if the answer is yes on both sides, then it makes sense to engage. And then you can be sure that the guys want to close the deal very quickly. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. All right. On that note, if you guys are looking to invest in a company. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how much yeah. are you looking to raise? Honestly, we haven't defined that. I'd probably, I would say the, the pre-series A round will be close to $2 million, I would assume now. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, like we're totally open to anything and we're not actively actively raising now. Okay. Um, first okay. MVP, then we see the traction, then we'll become very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. but it definitely sounds like a very exciting venture that is answering a pain point. Hopefully. So, no, I, I would I Would, would you book your trip? Definitely. See, I have we'll the first customer. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Especially so, yeah, like, for multi-destination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a yeah, pain yeah. to so do truthfully, that online. Everyone I talk to from my friend's circle that goes on vacation with yeah. family is like, please yeah. launch. Yeah. I get I get my wife off my back or I get my kids off my back or yeah. I get this whole stress about figuring out where to go and how to book and blah, blah, yeah. off my back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this is a good... Uh, this. A good indicator whether this works or not. Yeah, a product market fit. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we're going to wind up. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your experience. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah, very cool. Uh, all the best with your startup. Thank Looking you. forward to check it out. So it's going to be launching post Ramadan, hopefully. I guess. So. Uh, so we'll leave links uh, for all the social media in the description of this uh, YouTube video or podcast, however you guys are consuming it. Um, do leave us a like button if you're watching this on YouTube. Subscribe. We try to get entrepreneurs, uh, real entrepreneurs, to come on here and share their experiences. If you're listening to it on the podcast, leave us a rating. It really helps us out and uh, spreads the word. So um, Tell all your friends and all your enemies about what you heard today. <laughs> yes. Spread the some, word. We need some. many, many more viewers we need people like those guys to do this amazing job so we can build the ecosystem thank you definitely and signing off with keep on hustling all right see you guys